Okay, you ready? Now here we go again. Something that you, like last week, I thought that service on head coverings was just such a strange, a strange sermon to put together. But again, I was reminded just how there are things underneath uh, the scriptures that the Spirit of God wants us to learn. And I wanted to go back just to uh, go into the Corinthian situation and remind you a couple of things that were, that's going to put some corners of the puzzle together so you can see, oh, this is a, a framework. Do you remember that Corinth was an upstart, a new city, a very wealthy city, a city that you'd want to go to for business because there's lots of things in that port city that was just for business opportunities. It was very attractive. And so there's not only natural beauty, but the resources that they had uh, called together a whole group of people, but they were in Greece. And remember that Greece, a, a nation of city-states, uh, they were a political country, countries. They weren't a country. They were several city-states. But they were people of war. And they were known, they, they were known for the shields and the helmets. And there's just a lot going on in this city. But as I was thinking about what we're talking about today, getting into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, there's a, there are issues that, that the Corinthians were distorting because the culture had an influence on the church. And in this context, I want to imagine, I want you to imagine with me what it would be like to go to church on Sunday morning in Corinth. And uh, what they were going through was not... Uh, what we would do here, what we've learned through the years from their experience. We've, we know that, that what Paul is trying to do in Corinth, he had some issues there as in other churches. But let me read to you the passage so that you feel like uh, if you were to come in to Corinth, uh, into Corinth church and this morning and hear this sermon, you go, what on earth is going on? And so this isn't a particularly... Uh, uh, what do I want to say? It's not a particularly inspiring. Actually, it's kind of, a, um, it'll make you pause because this point in time in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is going for the juggler. He's going to do surgery. So let me read this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 34. Now, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from it. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many of you among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Well, isn't that inspiring? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a difficult passage but it's coming on the passage that says to this group of sophomore saints who really are being influenced by the world and distorting the expression of the gospel of grace into a cultural, a preferential, a self-centered kind of community. And Paul says, uh, you guys are acting as though you're walking according to the flesh and not according to the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is doing surgery today. And unlike what we just did in our communion service, and we are 2,000 years out, at the beginning, this was a real problem. It's not the problem that we have in terms of the communion, but there's things underneath this that Paul's going to get to. But it's really interesting, because remember what Paul wants you to enjoy? What the Spirit of God wants you to enjoy is this freedom in Christ, that the, where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. And that wisdom that God comes and gives to us in the kingdom of heaven that we pray his will be done on earth is a reflection of the fact that God is creating a whole new kingdom community of a new kind of human being. It's not a human being of the flesh, it's a human being of the spirit. And therefore, Paul just let us know just two weeks back, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ and follow my traditions. And you're doing many of those things, but when it comes to the Lord's Supper, they were not following the traditions that Paul had. And as a result, they were pretending to be a church. They, were, they had a pseudo uh, symbol of civil religion or traditional environments where they would go through religious traditions. But it's different than what we would understand because when they talked about the Lord's Supper, it wasn't like taking communion like we do today. It was actually coming together in somebody's home, usually a rich patron who would sponsor the home and, 
have a large space that would accommodate 30 to maybe 50 people. And then they would bring almost, uh, it would be kind of like a potluck. But people would bring food in and people would share a meal, a complete meal, and then they would have a communion to top it off. So it was a regular sense where you would sit down in the Middle Eastern, Mediterranean cultures. To sit down at table, like I said, is, is a sign of friendship. And yet they would go into these rich people's homes, Christians who were wealthy, and they would provide some things. And But if you were a slave, or you were a poor person in Corinth, and you just brought a, a, bot, a, a pot of beans, or you bring some some food that wasn't really, I mean, you were poor. You couldn't afford to bring good food, but you brought it anyway. There was tension going on in the church at this point because people didn't want to eat with the Christians who were poor. People didn't want to eat with those who were blue-collar workers coming off the ships, and they were smelly. There was something about people who were not... Wealthy, And so the idea here is there's something else going on besides the communion a tradition. The divisions were powerful, and they were disturbing, and they were distorting the gospel because what they were promoting was a pseudo-Christianity that was just the opposite. They were killing the koinonia. They were not walking according to... Uh, to the Spirit. And Paul knew, Paul knew that this situation was volatile. It wasn't a church split as such, but there was conflict in the church. There were personal relationships that were not happening because of some attitudes. And therefore, for a young, for a young Christian to come into this attention that what's going on? Is this, a, is this the family of God? It doesn't seem to be the family of God. And so Paul says, I'm addressing you this morning in chapter 11. He says, I have no praise for you. You guys are failing miserably. Now, this is not a good word. It's never good to hear somebody correcting and pointing out your faults publicly. But here's what Paul was saying. When you guys get together, it's better that you don't get together. Because when you get together, you do more harm and damage and people leave the church real frustrated because they don't come to church to get irritated. Have you ever been in a situation where you leave the church more angry than when you came? I've been in situations where I thought, well, I don't want to go back to that church. And, and you just feel the tension's constant because people didn't love well or personality quirks or whatever got. But he says, in the first place, he says, there are divisions among you. There are divisions among you. There are certain groups, certain cliques. These aren't based on the false teachings. These aren't, in some translations, call it their heresies. And there are churches that had heresies come through the church. But this wasn't heresies. This wasn't false, false teaching. But this was false choices that people were making that were political factions. They were, they were social uh, groupings. It was an us versus them going on in the church based on 
socioeconomic, educational, skin color, prejudice, preferences, biases, rich versus the poor. And when they came into the home of these rich people for this supper, there'd be people that would go out to the garden and they would never go into the other parts of the house to meet with other Christians. And so they would stay separate because birds of a feather, yeah. But they were gullible and they were vulnerable. And this tension, it wasn't only for the Corinthians because they would forget the whole purpose of what God was doing in the church. And so Paul would say to the Galatians, I am astonished to the Galatians. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Hear that as Paul's base note. You're called to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning away from that to a different gospel. You're turning away from the fellowship to a different church. But here in the Galatians, he says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people in the Galatian church are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's very clear in Galatians. That's not the same thing in Corinth. Corinth had a different problem. They were also being misled, but they were being misled by Satan. And Paul would say, I'm afraid for you Corinthians. I'm really afraid that just as Eve was deceived by serpent's cunning, that your minds would also somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The Galatians would get turn, uh, misled, and, and the Corinthians were misled, but it wouldn't be the false teaching. It wouldn't be Satan. Here in Corinth, in this context, it would be the culture. It would be the rich versus the poor. And therefore, what they wanted to do was to turn this love feast, the agape dinner, the fellowship where everybody would come together as a group, they would let the culture come in and split the church and have different citizenry. There's a first level Christian, a second level Christian, and those that are in and those that are out. These are cliques. These are power groups. And then you'd hear somebody say for the rich, I wouldn't eat what they brought. Oh, I don't want to even sit with them. And uh, let's just go up to the garden. Or, if you were rich, they would eat before they came because they'd have higher quality food and even a, 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 an abundance of it. They could eat all they wanted at their home. And then they would go to the church and say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not really that hungry. You know, and so they, they used that dinner time for fellowship and they forfeited it. That was what was going on. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the, the teaching about the Lord's table with this as the context. Because I hadn't, until I studied this, I thought, something else is going on here. And the problem is, in the Corinthian church at this time, there was no gospel in operation. At this point, what took over was the decision-making of personal preference, individual personalities, and, and pride that says, I don't need to eat with you, or I, I will not share with you. And so there was a division, not again based on teaching, but based on pride, and 
I, I don't want to be with you. Have you ever been ashamed by being with another Christian? Embarrassed because of whatever they did, they thought, I wish I weren't associated with this guy. Oh, I've, I've had some stories I won't go into, but the idea that if you are ashamed of your brother, or you're ashamed of your sister, there's something that's going on that's even deeper that the Lord has to do surgery. The Corinthians were misconstruing the church to be a common social function. It was just another potluck dinner. And throwing the Lord's Supper at the end. But by substituting these ranking systems and these profiles and keeping people apart, uh, they were staying away, not only from each other, but they were staying away from the very spirit of Christ. And therefore, their foundation wasn't Christ, but meaning a tolerance of a civil religion. And therefore, as we read today, their hearts were far, far, far from the gospel. Their hearts weren't into it. There were divisions, but it was of a different kind. And therefore, what the, these sophomores in the spirit had to learn was to mature and graduate into the wisdom of love, of agape love. Their coming together fell apart. Their coming together fell apart. Their fellowship was forced and fake. Now, you walk into that church on a Sunday morning, what telltale signs would you pick up? Would you pick it up like, do these people like each other? Do these people want to be with each other? And so you have this tension, whatever that is, and all churches have these cliques. All churches have these tensions. But it's interesting when Paul says, when you assemble together, when you gather together, in this particular case, he says five times, the reason why you get together is for blank. And you would fill in the blank. They say, well, it's to eat. It's not for fellowship. You eat together, but there are divisions among you. So much so that some people would eat ahead of time. Usually we, when we break bread or we have fellowship, we have somebody start the prayer and then we all sit down to eat. They said, I'm just going to do it when I want to. And so they would jump in at any time. It was a free-for-all. And there was no order, a little bit of chaos. The problem here was there was just an intense individualism in the Greek Corinthian situation. Don't you tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. There was no sensitivity, no, no sense of, 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 of courtesy or an awareness of what, what's the purpose of coming together. And the purpose of coming together is not to be individually satisfied, but it is to fill that fellowship purpose that you are called into fellowship with God and with those God's called into fellowship together as the body of Christ. In the following directives, I have no praise for you or for your meetings because you make it worse. So stop it. Paul is trying to correct them, and here he comes. In the first place, when you come together as a church, uh, there are divisions. The purpose of the church is to come together, not to separate. And so Paul says, if you find there's conflict that causes you to go in a distancing mode away from people, then know that you're not following the Holy Spirit. 
But Paul goes on to say something really interesting. There has to be differences. There has to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. You being plural, not individual here. Well, no, wait a minute. Paul is just talking about in 1 Corinthians 1, there's a lot of divisions going on. But now he says there has to be divisions. And so if you're not confused at this point, uh, join the club. But Paul was referring back to something that Jesus himself said about the church. Now hear this, because it's a test for us all. Jesus would say in Matthew 24, it says, you will be handed over to, the persecu- to, to be persecuted and put to, death, put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets and will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. King James says, will wax cold. You blow the candle out on a, on a fire on a candle, and that hardens. Well, that's the Corinthian heart that uh, is at stake here. But Jesus would mention that there are going to be people. He says, don't suppose that I come to bring pre- I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy will be the members of his own household. What Christ is introducing is the gospel isn't going to be a cure-all for society. The gospel is going to be the redeeming vehicle to get those who come to Christ and there will be a new community. And not everybody wants to do that. There will be differences. But to know who the true believers are, you'll find out as you are mingled with people who don't have the Spirit of God. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So there are some stipulations that there's some distinctives about the Christians. And John would go on to say in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. So here in the church of Corinth, Paul was saying, there's a standard here that if you are a Christian, then there are things that should be distinctive about your life because Jesus said, you will know who are my people. Those who abide with me bear fruit, and you will know them by their fruit. Well, the Corinthians were not listening to Jesus. They didn't have that word because they didn't have the New Testament at that point. But Paul would say to them at this passage, couple points under this passage that says each one of you, each one of you, each there's again that individualism you're making the decision how you are doing it and they're not thinking collectively he says each one of you goes ahead and starts eating without being considerate and you're eating before hungry people you're getting your needs met while other people are starving, they don't have food, they don't know what to do here and so, but you're just taking care of yourself And when you take care of yourself and you don't pay attention to other people around you, that's not the mark of the Holy Spirit. It's a mark of a very self-centered person. There's a story that C.S. Lewis says about, uh, I think it's in Paralandra, that if you go to heaven, people in heaven have no elbows. You ever heard this story? 
And so they have elbows, but they have like oh, 10 foot chopsticks or something to eat. But you grab the chopstick and you can't, when you try to feed yourself, you can't. So the way heaven works is you always feed somebody else and somebody else will feed you because they have no elbows. That's a funny picture, isn't it? But the idea that you're sensitive to other people, but you don't do it privately, and you don't eat in front of others who don't have any food. They go hungry. So then when you come together, he says, this is not the Lord's Supper. This is not. What you are doing is not the Lord's Supper. So let me get into what the Lord's Supper is. When Jesus was introducing this, this tradition, the table of the Lord, it's called the Lord's Supper. And they, no doubt, had a Passover meal. And at the end of that meal, they ate it collectively. And they ate the bread and drank collectively at the same time. But it isn't about eating, or is it not about drinking? Because Paul wasn't concerned if they ate too much or didn't eat too much or if they got drunk. It wasn't about drinking or overeating. It was about being together. Because when the Lord instituted the supper, the focus of that supper was, remember, it wasn't just this event. It was the foot washing. It was a submission. It was the fact that there's a serving, there's a, there's a sacrifice coming. And all that would be under the word love. This is not the Lord's Supper, Paul said to the Corinthians. You don't serve, you don't submit, you're not sensitive, you're not loving each other, and therefore you are distorting the gospel, and you don't follow the Holy Spirit. And that would stand out. But Paul would say, I'm going to pass on to you what I had received, that when the Lord had given thanks, it's about gratitude. Gratitude that we were all invited to the table. But when he said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Why do you gather together? It's not because you are hunger or you have a desire to be with your friends. It's about coming together to remember, not just a cognitive recalling. It's starting to think about Christ died for me. And he says, remember, remember me. It, I am the focus. I am the center. The reason why you gather together is because you are connected to me. Don't forget me. And they were forgetting Christ. This is not the Lord's Supper, Paul said, but this is the Lord's Supper. When you get together and you recall the gospel, that this cup in the same way, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. And when you do this, Remember me. It's Christ-centeredness. It's not about social traditions. And therefore, the thing that I wanted to point out here, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Not only with the people of Israel, but with the people of all the nations. Look among the nations and observe. Because every Gentile Jew will come to the table on the same basis of faith in Christ. But they will all be made uh, as people by a new covenant. Now notice what he says in, in Jeremiah. It will not be like the old covenant. The old covenant is you keep the commandments, you get blessed. If you sin, you have a sacrifice. If you sin again, you do another sacrifice. If you sin more times, you take the the effort to the priest, and there's more, it's a sacrificial system. And God instituted that, but it wasn't, that wasn't the point that, 
Jesus was saying, that system is old. You don't, it's not about your obedience. It's not about your commitment. It's not about your faith. It's not about you. This new covenant, it's all about Christ. And this new covenant says, the promise that Jesus made to the Father in the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, beginning with Adam, that promise that God made to his son is the covenant those two made that is the promise given to you. And God says, if you go down and you'll be the Savior, you go down and be the Messiah, you be the sacrificed lamb, I will forgive their sins. And Jesus says, I will do that on one condition, that what you bless me with, you bless my church with. And as you accept me and my sacrifice, you accept everyone in the church the same way. The new covenant, each one will know the Lord. Each one, everyone. Forget forget the social system. Forget the economics. Forget the education. They will all come to know me. They will all be taught of God. And I will put my spirit on each and single Every single slave in Corinth and every single rich person in Corinth and every single person who calls on the name of Christ gets that same spirit. And you gather together in that spirit because God has had mercy on you. Remember, Christ is giving mercy and acceptance to you. You remember that and then you extend it out into fellowship. That's what they were forgetting. No longer will they teach one another because everyone will come to talk about what Christ did for them. Christ was merciful to me. I can be merciful to you. Christ was sensitive to me. I can be sensitive to you. It's an amazing thing. It's an oath. It's a covenant. We know these are very solemn, solemn promises. We do that in the United States with our Constitution built on the understanding what the Christians did when they made that constitution. They understood the solemnity of their promise. The same when a a state police officer, um, any government official, they take the oath, I do solemnly, solemnly, solemnly swear. And the Corinthians weren't solemn at all. They were too casual. They were too flippant. But Paul says, do this because it's my death of the Son that's made a whole new community. They were just kind of being flippant about it. But I, I will faithfully and discharge the duties of the office on which I'm about to enter, so help me God. We have become so flippant with our oaths and our vows that we don't take our marriage vows seriously. Therefore, we are slipping as the Corinthians were slipping and being deceived. But Paul was correcting them. Do this remembering me. This is the covenant, the testament, the promise that God says that when you do this, when you eat this in an unworthy manner, what does it mean to be take this? I, have you done this? Have you ever not taken communion because you didn't feel worthy? You, didn't, you, you, you did something, your attitude was wrong, you forgot God for a num- number of days and you don't feel like you come to the Lord's table. That it's not about you being worthy. That's the very time that you come. But, but, but when Paul says, I want you to examine yourself, he was saying to the Corinthians, look at the way you're coming together. Examine how you treat this as just a flippant little thing. You come because you seriously need 
grace. You need mercy. This is a time you stand in the promise that I don't have it together. And so I call upon the grace and the mercy of God. And therefore, you're invited to the table no matter what your condition is because God's promise is the focus, not your spiritual condition. But when he calls us to examine yourself, don't have that flippant attitude, which is what Paul said. But if you're not thinking about the body of Christ and you eat and drink judgment, that's why some of you are sick. Now, that's another pot of coffee. We get into that. But in summary, what Paul is trying to do is say, there are distinctions among you. Oh, yeah, there'll be distinctions, which he gets into next week, in terms of the gifting of the body of Christ. You have a place in Christ, but don't forfeit the gospel. And don't abuse the Lord's Supper because of your personal preferences. But the prejudice and the pride that you don't want to be with God's people, that's evidence of a fruitless, immature, ignorant person. But he called them brothers and sisters. And so he's trying to correct them to say, we are one body of Christ. We are bound together by Christ. And with that, we'll continue on next week. But that's a different kind of way of thinking about the Lord's Supper because it's not just a social thing. It's a spiritual community that you are called to have fellowship with God's people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you correct us. Thank you that your spirit leads us into that covenant that we stand under grace. And as we have received grace, so we can give grace. Lord, take these words and change the way we relate to people, to be sensitive and thoughtful, spirit-filled servants. We thank you. And now we ask you to bind us together. Give us that unity of spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.